Today on the Multiply Podcast, our topic is defining discipleship. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad you're with us or back with us. Yep. It's good to be here. Fall is upon us. It's Fall creeping. Fall is my favorite season. And it's here, and I'm ready. Mm. I got my fantasy football team drafted, and I'm ready to go for fall. Wow. Are you in a fantasy football league, Jared? I am not. Not an everyday man, apparently. Here's what I realized. Not relating to the people, the masses. Here's what I realized about fantasy football. You don't like making friends. Is I don't ever take it as seriously as anybody else in in the league, so that they just end up getting mad at me and frustrated because I don't care as that, much. That actually sounds eerily similar to this podcast. <laughs> you do not take it as seriously as me. You don't care as much as me. And I get angry at you all the time. Yeah. Well, that is the opposite of the truth. But, um, yeah, I just, man, I just like watching my Patriots. That's it. Ugh. I'm a diehard New England Ugh. Patriot fan. All our listeners just threw up in their collective mouths. Yeah, we probably lost a few from that statement, yeah. but I had to be true to myself. If it makes our listeners feel better, I don't actually really have a favorite team. For years, I rooted for Donovan McNabb because he played college football at Syracuse where I live, and so I followed him uh, while he was playing with the Eagles. And But I don't really have a team, and so primarily, and I'm not just saying this because you just said your favorite team is the Patriots, my primary motivation in rooting in the NFL is to root against the Patriots. So this is kind of yin and yang on this podcast. My good is balancing out your evil. <laughs> no, it's not easy being a champion, having the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest coach of all time, greatest tight end of all time, and uh, probably two of the greatest field goal kickers of all time. When we're all <laughs> you're, and done. You're, really, you're really <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel if you're bragging <laughs> on your field goal kickers. Hey, Adam Vinatieri was amazing. <laughs> All right, well, that's it. Fall's coming. Pumpkin. Spice. Spice. Everything. Latte. You know. Yeah, it's going to be great. Hey, we're hoping you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, we've had so much fun making it, have have amazing feedback from people, and great to hear the stories of how it's uh, been helpful for you, or beneficial, or um, just an enjoyable part of your day. That's why we do it. We'd love if you listen, um, if you're on iTunes or whatever, give us a, give us some feedback, give us a rating. Uh, feel free to share the podcast with whoever you know so that it can be a resource to more. That would be amazing. If you don't like the podcast, feel free not to rate it, though. Yeah. It's not yeah. important. It's not, doesn't. This is really only for the people that want to give us a five-star rating. Right. Yeah. Anything less, then just keep it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> hey, today we want to talk about uh, something that we love and love talking about, which is um, the definition of discipleship. And in fact, we're talking about defining, how do we define discipleship? It's kind of a important word since it's everything that we should be doing. And as church leaders, certainly so much a part of what we want to have happen in our ministries or in our churches. But oftentimes it's kind of difficult to define it, right? You have conversations and depending on who you talk to and say, how how would you define discipleship? You're going to get a variety of different answers. So we're going to talk about that today. And in fact, we're going to discuss a definition that David uses for his church, which he leads. And so certainly this is not the definition, right? Or the only definition that you could use, but you've, David, found it really helpful and useful. And Yeah, I think, um, in fact, I would preface it by saying there are going to be more theologically robust definitions of discipleship than this. This is very functional. 
Um, how do we help uh, our community understand what it looks like to grow and um, to follow Jesus? And so this is maybe more of a functional definition than it is a theological definition, but there's a lot of theological underpinnings and real life implications. And so I'm going to, um, I'll share the definition a couple times just so the, uh, you listeners can kind of process it and then we'll break it down and just kind of talk about the different aspects of the definition. Each word has been carefully chosen and, and, um, really communicates an important truth about discipleship. And of course we know that the discipleship is the one thing that Jesus told his disciples to do is to go or as you go or in your going or in going from this place to the next place, uh, which is, um, one of the best translations of that word, that Greek verb go, which is um, as you're going from here to there, make disciples, make being in the imperative form. So we've been uh, commanded by Jesus to make disciples. And I think as a church, we often get distracted by other things. And uh, we need to have this sort of singularity of focus on discipleship. So having said that, here's a definition of discipleship that we use at our church. And it's this, discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of your life, changing what you love and how you live. So let me say that again. Discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of your life, changing what you love and how you live. Um, so let's talk, uh, let's just kind of break this phrase down a little bit. Um, and uh, let's just start right at the beginning where the first three words says discipleship is moving. And the reason why I think that phrase moving is so important is obviously it indicates progress, but also indicates a process. And so discipleship is a, it's a process. It's an ongoing thing. So it's not discipleship is that you moved past tense, completed from unbelief to belief in the gospel, but as a discipleship is moving. So every day there is movement in our hearts, there's movement in our lives, and we're moving in one direction or the other as it relates to what we believe about the world, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the gospel. Um, so discipleship is moving um, as far as it being a process. Yeah, I love that terminology because I think it's a little bit different than what so many of us grew up in in our church cultures, right? Like if you grow up in church, there's, in my opinion, an overemphasis on the singular moment of salvation, right? Or, and and th- that's not to say that that doesn't happen for people, mm-hmm. but, you know, the kind of the, the church culture scene is share the gospel or hear a sermon or hear, and then it's like, do you want to accept? Raise your hand. Pray a prayer. Pray come a prayer. Front, come whatever your tradition right. is. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's, it's a singular moment of, congratulations, you're now saved, boom. And there's, it can be this feeling of the job is now done, right? That ha- that has happened, it's done. And I think that is not realistic for so many people, even in my own life. It's like when, I try to think about it, it's like when did I, when did I really put my faith and trust in Christ and, and have an understanding of the gospel, right? When did I, re- it's hard to put a pin on that. Yeah. It really is. And Some of so, us are asking, when will you? <laughs> Future tense. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so I think this is a healthier framework to say to people, we're in a journey of growing and moving mm-hmm. and, and continuing in our um, wisdom and belief in the gospel versus we're looking for a singular moment. Yeah. And so not only is it a singular moment, uh, it's also not an event. 
it's not necessarily a program. Um, it's a sort of constant moving in our lives. At every moment of every day, our hearts are being directed towards something or towards someone. And that movement uh, indicates really how we're growing or not growing in our trust in Jesus. So discipleship is moving. And then the second phrase I want to, as we keep going through this definition, is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel. Now, there's two things there. Let's talk first about this idea of moving from unbelief to belief. I think most people would agree that it's a lack of belief, not just mental assent, uh, but actually heart-level belief, um, uh, a believing that is also a receiving, hand-in-hand, so not just believing in Jesus, but receiving what he's done for us. I think most people would agree that it's a lack of that sort of belief that keeps us outside of a relationship with God, right? Mm -hmm. But what prevents us from growing in our relationship with God? And I think as you study Paul's writings, uh, he's always front-loading his letters to Christians in churches with gospel reminders, and then back-loading his letters with gospel uh, a call for gospel response, right? So here's the reminder of the gospel. Here's how we respond to the gospel. So it's always the indicative and then the imperative. So what Paul is really doing is he is preaching the gospel to people who already know it, to people who already believe it. Why is he doing that? Because he believes, and I believe this is what one of the things we can learn from his writings, is that just like it's a lack of unbelief in the gospel that keeps us outside of our relationship with God, it's a lack of growing and deepening and widening belief in the gospel that prevents us from growing in Christ, from moving forward. And so one of the implications of this phrase of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel, we'll talk about the gospel in a second, but from unbelief to belief in the gospel is this. If that's true, then discipleship is something that uh, that we should be doing for people whether they are in Christ or not. So if somebody doesn't believe in pre-conversion discipleship and post-conversion discipleship, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, I think that's huge. I think that's huge. And that pushes back against the singular moment idea, which is, and, and the idea of the separation between evangelism and discipleship. Right. Or, or even the think that or the thought that we've been called to make converts. Right. Jesus said, "Make disciples." Right. So I think it's I think it's really huge, and and it challenges people in in one way that I think is huge, which is to actually go and begin to develop relationships. There's something about the idea of conversion which feels like it doesn't necessitate a relationship. Right. I can go on the street corner and preach, or I can you know, have a one conversation with someone. But when you're talking about discipleship, that necessitates a relationship. And I think that's in our churches. I know if you assess your church and say, how many people in our church who are committed Christians have genuine relationships with non-Christians? Mm. You may be hard to find. I mean, it, I know in my experience in our churches, it was really challenging. It was really difficult because there was kind of this idea of, being separate from those who don't believe, and then look for moments to convert them. And then once they're converted, then you could start discipling them. Right. But what you're saying is you're helping them holistically move in every area of their life, their finances, their marriage, their parenting, everything, to believe more in the gospel. And that starts even before they fully recognize and understand who Jesus is. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think... Um, if, dis- if making disciples is not just sitting them in rows and teaching the scriptures to them, although that could be part of making disciples, but if that's not the um, sort of holistic approach to making disciples or even the model that Jesus 
uh, gives us, if making disciples is more like along the lines of living a life worth sharing and then sharing it uh, generously and intentionally, then discipleship starts with people in your life who are far from God, who don't know Jesus, and they don't even know they're being discipled. But because you're living a life centered on the gospel and you are generously and intentionally sharing that life with them, you are already discipling them. And so one of the things we talk about at our church is sort of this false dichotomy of evangelism and discipleship. And when we think of them as two separate distinct things, the danger is, is that, first off, we tend to think the gospel is only for evangelism. But, of course, the gospel is also for discipleship. We also uh, tend to have a transactional ending to evangelism. You say this prayer, I give you your you know, go-to-heaven card, so to speak. Yeah. Um, whereas, what if it's all discipleship? And uh, one of the terms that I've started to use a little bit is this idea of evangelistic discipleship. Because in the word evangel, we get the word gospel. Mm-hmm. So what is evangelistic discipleship? Discipleship informed at all levels by the gospel at any area of life, in any sort of stage of belief or lack of belief in the gospel. And so um, this belief issue is a, is a big deal yeah. also because discipleship is not simply about moving from bad behavior to good behavior, right? right? That's a, that could be a fruit, but it's not the root. Um, discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, too, with the whole evangelism discipleship conversation that practically discipleship just works more because it's rooted in relationship. Like in our day and age, in our culture, if you don't have relationship, people are so skeptical, mm-hmm. way more than they used to. So that's why things like tracks don't work as much as they used to and kind of street preaching and some of this other stuff, stuff that stuff that is done without relationship. Not saying it never works, sure. but it's way less likely than it was at a different time. So just the idea of discipleship, which takes relationship practically, it just works yeah. better. And we should probably say that we are obviously uh, viewing this through the lens of our context, too. We're in the Northeast. Sure. Um, there may be other places in our country or in our world where a more confrontational type of uh, outreach is, is still fruitful. But certainly where we are at, it's it's uh, very rare to find somebody in church that will say, I'm here because somebody, a complete stranger, came up to me and told me that I needed Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's way more likely that it's just going to be someone who was just a friend who just kind of came alongside them and shared uh, shared their life with them. So, yeah. um, so discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief. And then this next phrase is so important, of course. It's right in the center of this definition, and it's really right in the center of discipleship in the gospel. So it's not belief um, in myself. It's not belief um, in a specific um, uh, political party. It's not belief in a uh, you know religious activity. It's belief in the gospel. And so the gospel, of course, is central to discipleship. And the gospel is the good news that God is rescuing humanity and restoring all of creation in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So basically, God's doing everything he said he would do, and he's doing it because of what Jesus did in our place uh, for us and has um, far-reaching ramifications and implications, not just in our lives, but in our world. And so uh, how have you seen people, uh, how have you seen maybe some, in some environments, people try to do discipleship apart from the gospel? And what are some of the dangers of that? I think the danger, what, what it looks like is, if you don't recognize that that is the problem that people have, um, 
So the, the reason for every sin, the reason for every shortcoming, the reason for every everything that every reason why someone does not become more um, in love with Jesus, more like Jesus, more evident of the fruit of the Spirit in their life, all of those reasons, it comes back to they don't believe the gospel. But if you don't recognize that or believe that, then you tend to look at um, other things like behavior, which is symptomatic, right? It's like uh, having the ra- having a rash on your skin and going, I've got a rash, and they're like, okay, yeah, um, you have a rash, that's your problem, versus any doctor or any person would understand, well, that's a symptom, but there's something else going on. Maybe I need antibiotics, maybe I need something, right? There's a deeper issue. Mm-hmm. So you tend to focus and put all your time and energy into simply the the symptoms of what's happening in people's hearts. And so you may change behavior. You may get people that did drugs and don't do drugs now or looked at porn and now they don't. But if you've not dealt with their heart idolatry, the root of what of what is driving them, then you've probably just shifted behavior to different things, but it's just as harmful as the thing they did before. Yeah, so if somebody, instead of believing the good news of the gospel, that they are approved of by God because of Jesus' uh, unmerited, um, sufficient work on their behalf, if they don't believe that, they're going to look for the approval of others through other sorts of merit and work, right? So you just to kind of flesh out the example you were you were giving, you might have somebody who their whole life they looked for the approval of their friends and their friends were druggies or their friends were uh, partiers or whatever or their friends were um, chasing after wealth and so they just it wasn't even necessarily wealth that they wanted, it wasn't necessarily the drugs that they wanted. They wanted the approval, right? So then they come into a church and they realize, well this seems like a smarter way to live, like I'm older now, maybe I should make better choices and people like me here. And it looks like if I live a good life, people here are going to give me the approval that I've been looking for other places. That's the danger of discipleship apart from the gospel. You're not actually challenging the idols in the hearts of your people um, and saying, no, you gotta, you got to stop uh, having that level of unbelief in what the gospel says about how God views you and, um, and uh, embrace the fullness of the gospel. It can just sort of like, you can just kind of redirect people's idols yeah. into new behavior. Real quick, the the most helpful thing for me in pastoring people in this is challenging them to ask the question, why? Mm-hmm. And so if you say the underlying reason why you sin or why you do anything you do is because you don't believe in the truth of who Jesus is, or another way to say it is you don't believe in the gospel, right? Then you, so let's say you yell at your wife, David, which I happens often from, Easy. from uh, the stories I hear at least, um, and, uh, so you, you get angry at her, and you shouldn't have, right? And the best, best question you can ask is, why? Why did I act that way? Why mm-hmm. were my emotions that way? And as you dive down and dig down, and it may take a while, right, to really get to the root, you say, what am I, be- what am I not believing about Jesus in that moment that caused me to do that? And maybe, maybe it comes down to you really wanted her approval, and you didn't get it, or whatever the reason is, Respect, right? Respect, power, Res- control, right. security. It could yeah. be a variety of things, but all of a sudden you realize, and you go, oh. Dinner. <laughs> yeah. You go, oh, okay, I see what's happening. I wasn't, tr- I wasn't believing the truth of the gospel, which is I, have, I, don't need my, I don't need approval from my wife. I have it from Jesus. Therefore, it caused this reaction, this emotion. Um, 
that's the best and simplest way to help people is help them drive down and ask that why yeah. question. And some people would think, oh, if I don't if I don't have some sense of my need for my wife's approval, then why would I ever do anything good for her? And that just shows a, a real misunderstanding of the gospel, that once you have a uh, ongoing sense of God's deep approval, it doesn't cause you not to care about other people. It actually frees you to love them and serve them for the right reasons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. We could talk about this topic, obviously, for a long time, but let's keep going. So the discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel. And the next phrase is, in every area of our lives. And I just want to stop here for a second and say there's no arena of life. Uh, there's no aspect of life. There's no corner of our hearts that Jesus doesn't want to transform. And so sometimes we think, well, if I'm a disciple, then uh, I'll let Jesus clean up my language and clean up uh, the media I watch and this, that, and the other. Or I'll let Jesus rearrange my schedule so I didn't used to go to church on Sundays, but now I am. And we feel like we've been transformed. But Jesus wants to transform every area of our lives, uh, including our marriages, the way that we go about our work, our our recreation, um, the way we view the world, the way we interact with people who don't agree with us. And so discipleship is, a, is such a lifelong process because there's always more areas of our heart to surrender to Jesus. And there's always more areas of our lives that need the um, need a growing level of gospel belief. Yeah, I think that's that reality when you first start to understand the scope of this can be a little it's all, it's overwhelming right you and this is why i think it's so important is you realize the magnitude of your sin you're like oh my goodness i am such like almost everything i do is motivated by some sort of selfish attempt to gain something that i already have in the gospel speak for yourself <laughs> see david has a lot of areas yet to discover a lot of areas but yeah um you know, when we talk about different areas of life, obviously we mentioned some, but also thinking of ourselves holistically, that the gospel wants to shape not just our hearts, uh, not just our spirits, but our minds, the way we think, the way we use our minds, our bodies. Like, this is one I don't like to think about very much because I am not the most physically fit person in the world, and that's a bit of an understatement. But the gospel does have something to say about how we care for ourselves and how we steward every gift and every moment that God has given us in every relationship and every talent. And so um, there's so uh, sort of such a far reaching uh, impact in the gospel in our lives. So um, the rest of the definition, discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of our lives, changing what we love and how we live. And we've kind of already talked about this, but first just to drill on, drill in on that word changing, ultimately uh, discipleship should change us or shape us, it should, we should be different than we were before. When you look at the disciples in the scriptures, they left everything to follow Jesus. And although for three and a half years they changed very gradually and slowly and didn't really seem to get it, the dramatic change from who they were at the beginning of the Gospels to who we see them to be in the beginning of the book of Acts is so significant. It's actually one of the greatest apologetics for the, the truth of Jesus Christ, you know, that these men were willing to give their lives for this story that Jesus was who they were saying he was. So change is, sometimes, don't you think we, we maybe in some of the younger circles, we shy away from talking about change because we don't want people to default to moralism or, or just to working hard on themselves. Uh, but change is an outcome, isn't it? Yeah. No, I think that's the great, 
one of the great mistakes that we've made is um, confusing legalism with um, holiness or legalism with um, discipline, you know? And so we kind of have this, we were talking about this today, there's kind of this feeling that emerges where it's like, if I don't feel like doing something or I'm not totally like, then I shouldn't do it, right? Because that's just legalism. And we've totally lost the art of discipline, spiritual disciplines in our life, being disciplined. And because we've kind of seen some of the ugliness of legalism and we thought, well, we don't want any part of that. But of course, the pendulum has swung way too far Mm -hmm. and we've missed out on the truth, which is um, there's times in life that you don't feel like doing a lot of things, but how you help shape what your heart loves is by what you do and what you commit to doing and what you're disciplined in. And so being disciplined in things helps actually shape that love and and point your heart in the right direction. Yeah. Sometimes imitation and practice, even though it feels artificial and forced, is an important part of developing the desires in our hearts. Of course, God God ultimately gives us the desires, which is this whole last part of the definition, is that discipleship changes what we love or what you love and how you live. The order is important. We don't need to regurgitate it because we've kind of really talked about it already on this episode, but it starts with changing what we love. And then ultimately, as what we love or who we worship shifts, it also then changes how we live. And um, there's there's that change in our affections, um, our attention, but ultimately in the outwork. Because people should be able to see the change in our lives because God has first changed how and who we love, right? So the beauty of what God does for us is he doesn't just give us a list of new commands when we enter into relationship with us or with him. He gives us the desires to, to, to do the commands, not in an obligatory way, but joyfully. Yeah. That's the miracle of uh, regeneration, Really, so we don't just get uh, um, sort of new standing. We get a new heart, and we're united with Christ, and His desires become our desires as we do the work of discipleship, of daily positioning ourselves to move from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of our lives. Yeah, and I think it's huge. This is something we've got to help our people that we're discipling learn that the greatest discipleship evidence in your life, or the greatest, if you want to use the word, the term evangelism evidence in your life is what you love, you know? So do people see that I don't love money the way that they do? Do they see that my heart is not there? Do they see that the way that I think about my spouse and when we go through difficult times is different than different than they respond like so when they watch you and watch how you live oftentimes what makes the biggest difference is they can see what you love and what you chase and what your hope is found in and they're gonna go why why is that so different than me like why are they not like anybody else i know and it's not just because you don't watch r-rated movies or you don't um use bad language right but it's what do you love Mm -hmm. that looks different yeah no, I agree. So, uh, again, the definition, discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of your life, changing what you love and how you live. And one final thing that I would just say is this always happens in community, right? Uh, it's the work of the Spirit, and it always happens in community. So hope this is a just helpful conversation for you all. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get to the uh, very end of our episode, which we like to do a little portion called David's Eats. David loves a couple of things, Jesus, his family, but a very close third is food. And so we want to hear from you, David. Share us a little bit about uh, what's the best thing you've eaten recently. 
Well, just recently, we went to the New York State Fair, Aaron and I and you and Jen. And New York State Fair, if you don't know this, is uh, it's the fourth largest fair in America. This year, they broke a record. I think 1.25 million people or something like that came to the fair. It's only behind Texas, which, of course, right, everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, Darn Texans. Yeah. Um, Minnesota. And um, there's nothing else to do up there. So, and uh, and then there's some big regional northeast fair, which almost shouldn't count because it's not a one state fair. But you and I went and we enjoyed this creation called the Bacon Bomb, and uh, it's a sandwich. Mm. It's a it's a huge. Um, they they make these huge long, uh, almost think of like a meatloaf, but it's made out of different pork products. It's rolled together and it's uh, they cut it into these thick slabs and then they heat it up on a flat top and then they put cheese on it and barbecue sauce and they put it in bread and um, wrap it in bacon, and it's just like a pork explosion, and it is, uh, it's fantastic. It's not so good for the heart, but it's good, good for, for the, the belly. Soul. Oh. Good for the soul yeah, belly. I thought we were on soul there. It's not, let's do it again. It's not so, so good for the heart, but it's but good, good for, for the, the belly. <laughs> <laughs> it was delicious, I will say that. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you next time.